We'll be talking about things that we like, maybe some hockey. Oh yeah, we're skating on by weather in Chinatown or on a train to Penn Station. You'll need the city sound of all the news that we're breaking. The Rangers are playing. You're welcome to stay in. What is happening, everyone, and welcome to episode 101 of the new Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercagliano of the USA Today Network, and that track that you just heard came from listener Rob Milano. Now, allow me to explain. I want to start right at the top of the show by thanking Rob for submitting that track It is one of several tracks you're going to hear at the start of this show in the next few weeks. You might be wondering what happened to that previous intro that you had heard for all those episodes, 100 episodes in total. We had used the same exact song, a song that I had gone through. I don't know how many different options I had when we first started this podcast and picked out because I thought it just hit hard and got us right into kind of the hockey talk and that hockey mindset. I remember at the time sitting on the couch in my old New York City apartment and having my fiance listen to like all of them with me. And I kept asking her, what do you think of this one? What do you think of that one? Trying to explain to her what I thought the audience might like. And we finally landed on that one. So love that song. I'm going to miss it. But what a week it's been. Those of you who follow me on social media probably know what I'm talking about. And that would be that Monday night, just before the game was starting between the Rangers and the Winnipeg Jets at Madison Square Garden, my laptop, which I've had for a number of years, not six, seven, eight years, but probably four or five years, company-issued laptop, of course, crapped out on me. Just could not get it to get up and running. I was getting the spinning wheel of death endlessly. I tried restarting. I tried hard turning it off. I tried taking batteries out. I tried everything that everybody suggested. Could not get it to work. I actually had to write my initial story that night on my phone, then run home, steal my fiance's computer to do my SNY TV hit, and then finish my story on her laptop. Tuesday, had to go to the office, get the whole thing dealt with. Bottom line is, I'm back back in business, got a newer laptop that I'm very happy with and excited to use. Of course, it's a pain reinstalling everything and recovering stuff. And one of the things that we have now ultimately recovered, but at first it was lost, was that original New Ice City intro track that you guys are so used to hearing. And almost half-heartedly, it it was somewhat of a joke. I kind of threw it out there on Twitter On Tuesday night, I mentioned, hey, you know, we could use a new intro track now. And this goes to show how awesome the listeners of this show are. I mean, instantly, I had like six emails of people offering to come up with and produce a new intro track for me. And it kind of took on a life of its own. I would say at this point, I think I've received four tracks. The first one I received came from Rob. So that's the one that you just heard. And we've got all these others coming in. I I still have people reaching out and asking what kind of song I want. 
basically I talked it over with my editor and here's what we decided to do because I think it'll be a lot of fun. Now, obviously there's going to have to be a cutoff at some point, but for the next handful of weeks, it might end up being a couple months, every show we're going to start with one of these new tracks that were produced by our listeners. I I hate to think of you guys going through the work of doing it and then it never getting used at all. So we're going to use a new one each week for the coming probably, I think, at least two months based on how many we have so far. So I'm going to play them for you, a different one each week for the foreseeable future. And then at the end, we'll figure out some kind of process of narrowing it down. I definitely want to involve you guys. I definitely want to hear from you guys about which ones are your favorites. Maybe we'll set up a vote, a Twitter poll, whatever it might be. And ultimately, we will decide on one. And I'll also say this, if anybody's listening that's interested. Now, first off, you know, understand that it might only get played once, so I want everyone to be fully aware of that. And the only compensation we're offering is my eternal gratitude. I will obviously shout you out on this show all the time, and we will be very, very thankful. But, you know, don't put your time into it. If, if you got a lot of other stuff going on, I mean, we, right now it looks like we're going to have plenty of options. But if you are interested, I don't really have any parameters. Obviously, it can't have any curse words or anything like that in it. It can have lyrics. It doesn't need to have lyrics. It can be rock and roll. It can be something entirely different. I think it's kind of cool to see how creative you guys are and leave it open. Wh- whatever you think works for this podcast, if, if you're a, a regular listener, go for it because I think that's pretty cool and I think we're definitely going to have some fun with that in the coming weeks. So that's a a total side note to start you off at the top of the show. And again, Rob Milano, thank you so much for getting us started with that track. I'm not going to comment on which ones I like best at all. I'm going to remain completely objective with all of this and I want to hear feedback from you guys. So tweet at me, email me, whatever it might be. And like I said, toward the end, we'll figure out some kind of a way to narrow it down because I'm pretty sure in my inbox I have at least four tracks right now that you'll hear in the next few weeks and I have at least five or six other people that have inquired and told me they'll be sending me something. So this is going to be really fun and really interesting. So aside from the laptop issues and, and the new song stuff that's going on and my new and improved computer here, Let's talk about some Rangers because I just got back from practice a little while ago, finished up my story. I should also note I'm five or six minutes into the show. I haven't even mentioned my guest, and it's a good one this week. I did spend 10 or so minutes after practice sitting at the locker with Philip Heedle, and so he's going to be our guest this week. We had a lot of fun with Phil. I think you're going to hear it in this interview. This guy is so comfortable in his own skin this year. He's having so much fun this season, and it was a really entertaining conversation. We do a little hockey stuff, but you know how I like to do it when we have the players on this particular show because I write about them in such a serious way all the time, and it's always all hockey as far as the the written content, at least for the most part, that when I get them on the podcast, I like to try to get them to open up and show some personality. So you're going to hear Philip Heedle in a little while. Now, the team is boarding a flight to Detroit, Really quick trip. They're only going to be there for one night. I am not going with them to Detroit. Just got back from that long Western Canada trip. I've only been home for a couple nights. I probably would have had to miss today's practice had I gone to Detroit. And then I also would have been in jeopardy of missing Friday's practice, which is going to be in Washington, D.C. So what I'm doing, 
because the Rangers have a game on Saturday against the Capitals, is tonight I'm loading up the family in the car, my fiance and Vincent Jr., and we are together going to drive down to Washington, D.C. My sister-in-law lives down there, so we're going to spend a long weekend with her. I have a story that I'm finishing off Thursday morning that will come out Friday morning, but I'm not going to be covering the game on Thursday night. I will be in D.C. for Saturday's game, then heading right back up for a home game on Sunday. So it's going to be a hectic weekend, but it should be fun. Definitely excited to get a little extra time with the family and visit with some family while we're down there. Now, we can briefly talk about the recent stretch of games for the Rangers. They went on that four-game road trip, end up taking seven out of eight points, so an overwhelmingly positive trip. It ends with the overtime loss in Calgary. That was a game where the Rangers started really slow, but kind of gutted their way to the finish line and found a way to tie it and found a way to escape with one point, but technically they do have two losses in a row right now because they lost that game in Calgary, and then they came home and lost 4-1 to to the Jets on Monday. It's still so weird for me as a guy who grew up in New York to say Jets or write Jets because I always just think about the football team, but that's neither here nor there. I think even though we're talking about two consecutive losses – There really isn't too much to be disappointed about as far as the way that the Rangers played in those games. The first thing, and I know this sounds like an excuse, and I know the players are very conscious about not using this as an excuse, but I can tell you, as someone who went on that road trip with them, had to go from city to city, they had four games in, or three games in four nights, it was actually four games in total in six nights, so a grueling, grueling schedule for them. Those games were played in three different time zones. I was shot. I was tired. I was feeling run down by the time we got home. And I'm not playing the games. Now, I know these guys are a little bit younger than me for the most part, except for Yara Halak. I still have him by a couple years. But I cannot imagine how these guys are able to get up for these games. I was talking to somebody, I won't say who, in the press box who's connected in the league in Calgary. And we were just talking about how obvious it was that especially early on in that game, the Rangers had some tired legs and and these guys are human. They're professional athletes, but they're human. So I think you had to expect some moments in these last two games where all that travel was going to show up in the way that they played and all that being considered the way that they rallied in Calgary to tie the game. When you thought they had nothing in the gas tank, I found pretty impressive And then you look at that game on Monday. They outshot Winnipeg 51-21. to They controlled, they dominated that game. I think of all the games that I've covered, I mean, I tried to rack my brain a little bit. Maybe I'm misremembering something. But of all the games that I can remember covering in my four years on this beat, I cannot recall a time where watching the game made you feel like one team was significantly better than the other, but the scoreboard was completely the opposite. It was it was like night and day. If you watched that game, if you looked at the shot chart, if you looked at a lot of the stats, it all screamed Rangers. But the scoreboard, which ultimately is what matters at the end of the day, well, the Jets had the edge there. So I think 
the Rangers shouldn't hang their heads too much about that loss, and they certainly weren't. The feeling in that locker room and the feeling with head coach Gerard Gallant after that game was, listen, we played pretty well. It was one of those nights. Connor Hellebuck, you want to talk about memorable games for the, the, as far as the opponent for the Rangers. Connor Hellebuck played one of the better games I've ever seen a goalie play against the Rangers on Monday night. He finished with 50 saves, and they weren't all easy shots to locate from far away from the perimeter. The Rangers were able to get inside. They were able to create rush opportunities. They had some really dangerous looks. I mean, I keep thinking about that Chris Kreider shot on the power play in the third period from the slot where Hellebuck absolutely robbed him. But there were so many chances like that. They weren't shallow. They weren't hollow the shots that the Rangers had in that game. It was 51 mostly legitimate shots, and Hellebuck was just awesome. There's a lot of stuff, I think, when you look at the way that they've played the last week or so, because that's usually how we look at things on the podcast. We go week to week, but really in the last handful of weeks to feel good about the place where this team is right now. And as far as the recent games, especially the last two, I have been if we're talking about the forwards and the line combinations, which is always a hot topic, I've been really impressed, I think more so than any other, with that, whether you want to call it second line or whatever, that Panarin, Trocek, and Tarasenko combination. I thought that they were probably the Rangers' best line in Calgary. And remember, Tarasenko comes up with a key goal in that game. And I thought that they were by far the Rangers' best line in that game against Winnipeg on Monday. You go and look at the shot chart. They outshot the Jets while those three were on the ice by a margin of 15-3. to And Tarasenko ends up setting up Trocek with a really nice pass for the only goal that the Rangers scored in that game. I think Trocek recently... Might be having his best stretch as a Ranger. Definitely either that or that good stretch that he had leading into the Christmas break. Those are the two that come to mind for me with him. So Trocek really seems to be picking things up. Panarin missed practice today, actually. They're calling it a maintenance day. It definitely sounds like he'll play in Detroit on Thursday. He's cooled off a little bit after he had that stretch of six goals in two games. But he's been much better overall recently. Trocek has come on strong. And Tarasenko... I think finally seems to be feeling more comfortable in the spot where he's at in the lineup. So him starting to show significant signs of progress is perhaps the biggest positive of them all from the last couple games. So so that's definitely a positive thing I wanted to touch on. Now, of course, the big talking point and, and the thing that I want to end this opening segment on is Igor Shosturkin. Because if there is any area where fans seem to be expressing some concern recently, it is the goaltending situation, which sounds kind of ludicrous considering how great the goaltending situation for the Rangers has been for the last, I don't know, 20 years, (laughs) more maybe. But it's no secret, Gerard Galland admitted it today, that Igor in his last five or six starts has not been great, especially since he came back from the All-Star break. The five games since the All-Star break, his save percentage is at 865. That is a pretty unsightly number, especially by his standards. And 
The fact is he's in a little bit of a slump right now. Do I have confidence that he's going to get out of it? Yes, absolutely. I don't see this as any reason to panic. The people that are saying that last year was a fluke, I think you're being way too reactionary and way too harsh. This guy remains, if you don't want to call him the best goalie in the world, because I don't think he's been that this season, but he remains on the very, very short list of goalies that if you had to play a must-win game, he's in that conversation with maybe three other guys. I know a lot of people would say him and Vasilevsky are the two best in the league, but there's a handful of other guys, including Hellebuck, who are having really good seasons right now. So Igor is probably on that list of four or five guys that if you had to win a must-win game, he would be in the conversation. So let's not go overreacting to this too much. I do believe that you'll see him bounce back, but the fact is I'm not going to tell you that he's been good recently because he hasn't. He's given up some goals on shots that you're used to seeing him make the save on, and that's, that's part of this as well. He's spoiled us so much that a save where if another goalie gave it up, you might say, eh, well, you know, maybe he could have had it, but it wasn't that atrocious. With Igor, if he gives up one of those kind of 50-50 shots, you're like, wait, hey, he always saves that. So I think that adds to the feeling that people are having right now as well. But he needs to improve, and trust me, he knows it. And that is where I wanted to kind of wrap this up because it has become a very hot topic, I've noticed, especially on social media, in the last handful of days about Igor's reluctance to talk to the media. And I thought about tweeting about it, but it's, it's far too nuanced for me to try to explain in one tweet. And we know how those things can be distorted. So I thought the podcast would probably be the best place to address this. And, and here's what I'll tell you guys. Igor, it's not just a recent thing. This whole season has rarely talked after games. Now, you could argue that that's his prerogative, but there are actually some rules in place that say that players are obligated to talk to the media. And, you know, if as reporters we want to make a big stink about it and go through certain channels, we could probably do that. But we haven't done that because, you know, you want to be respectful of how each person copes with whatever's going on in their life individually, right? But the fact remains, for the most part, after games, you walk into the Rangers locker room, he's either not at his locker, so not available, and sometimes you can ask for him and he'll come out, but other times he declines the request. And there's even been some occasions where he'll kind of walk away in the middle of questioning. And after that game on Monday, I know multiple reporters approached him and asked him if he would take questions. The Rangers had just lost, and it was a game where he only made 17 saves on 21 shots faced, and he said he wasn't going to talk. Now, some people might take the position, I don't care if he talks or not. And if that's how you feel, that's fine. But I do believe and this is not just for my own selfish reasons, right? It's for you guys. It's for the fans. The reason that there are reporters in the locker room in the first place or reporters covering any team in any sport is so that we can ask questions, hear what players are thinking, ask about decisions that are made, ask about what was going through their mind in a certain moment in the game, find out about how a key play developed, whatever it might be. We are in the position 
to ask them questions so that we can then communicate to you what was going on in those key moments, how a play developed, whatever might be going on in that player's head. If you didn't care about that stuff, you're probably not much of a fan anyway. But a lot of people are interested in this stuff. A lot of people read what we write. A lot of people are checking our Twitter feeds. A lot of people are engaged and want to know what the players have to say. That's a big part of being a professional athlete. I I always go back to this. When I covered the Yankees, which was the first time I ever got to step foot into a professional locker room. I was our backup Yankees writer for like five years. So I would do like 25, 30 or so home games a year. And that was during the Jeter, Posada, Pettit era. Rivera, you know those guys. The core four plus a lot of other big names. 162 games a year, no matter what, Derek Jeter was at his locker answering questions because he knew that accountability, especially in this market, in a passionate market like New York where fans care so much that answering questions, whether the game went really well or even more importantly, sometimes when the game didn't go well is an important part of the job. Now Jeter was guarded with what he said. He didn't reveal a whole lot, but he knew accountability was an important thing to project to the fan base. I've heard from writers that were around before me that that's what you always got out of a guy like Mark Messier, that you know, captains in every sport always speak. I know that there are locker rooms around the league where I've heard about whether it's a general manager or head coach has a policy that everybody needs to be available after a game to speak, to show that accountability. And a lot of people will point to the most recent example. And I saw this in my one season covering him. Henrik Lundqvist spoke after every single game that he played. And He was always eloquent and thoughtful, and it's not fair to hold everybody to that standard. Like, I'm not trying to make that comparison at all. But he also knew that answering questions, whether they won or whether they lost, was part of his job. It was an important thing to do. So I myself had found in in recent weeks a couple times mentioning in my stories when Igor wasn't available. Because I feel like it's important for you guys as fans to know that if you had questions about something that happened in the game involving him, here's why I couldn't tell you what he had to say because he wasn't available. So that is my spiel on why I think it's important for them to be there. I think the people that are saying that reporters shouldn't care about whether the guy talks, it's not so much me caring. It's me caring about doing my job on your behalf, because I want to communicate to you guys about what I'm hearing from the athletes. That is my job. So it's about answering questions for you guys more than it's about answering questions for me. But I can't assume what someone's thinking or what's going through their head. That's, that's not fair of me to try to do. And the only way for me to get those answers is by asking the questions. And so I understand that it can be frustrating. I understand guys can be emotional after a loss. And I do believe that that's the case with Igor. And, and that is kind of bringing this full circle what happened today. After practice today, it was made clear that Igor wanted to speak. Personally, I op- absolutely believe that somewhere in the organization it was addressed that it probably wasn't a good look for him to continue not speaking. And again, I know some people thought this was like a one-time deal and saying, hey, you know, don't be too hard on him. He's allowed to have a bad night where he doesn't want to speak. But I can tell you this was a habit all season. So he decided that today he was going to speak. And I appreciate that. I'm very grateful for that. 
I certainly wanted to express to him that I understand if it's tough for him to talk when he feels like he's not playing well. And I'm not going to press him and, and make him feel uncomfortable if there are certain things that he'd rather not talk about. But him coming out and speaking the way that he did today helps me understand where he's coming from and therefore helps me explain to you guys where he's coming from. And that's what I wrote a lot about today. You can definitely go check out that story on loha.com slash sports slash rangers. And it was a lot of what we probably suspected. He's not happy about the way that he's playing recently. He said that his confidence has definitely taken a dip recently, and he's trying to work through it. He, he wants to play as much as he can. He's trying to work through it on practice. I, I think that he is the type of guy who has such a strong inner drive, and all of these athletes do, but I think he's like a level above the average guy, that he really takes it to heart and really gets down on himself when things aren't going the way that he wants. And sometimes things aren't going the way that he wants, but they're still winning and he's still having a game that most of us would consider pretty good. But he holds himself to such a high standard that I think that that's why he is not a huge fan of talking after these games. Again, in my opinion, it's part of the job as a professional athlete, but I'm glad at least that we spoke today and he expressed that this is why he's been feeling frustration. This is why he's been reluctant to talk and he's trying to work through it. And he did express, you know, some optimism about the fact that he still has a month or so to go and he's working really hard to get out of it. Again, I think that there's a lot of reason to believe he'll get out of it. I don't think this is any reason to panic. I don't think the guy all of a sudden went from being the best goalie in the world to, or one of the best goalies in the world to a guy who has an 865 save percentage. That's not who he is. He's going to come up from that. We all know it. It's a matter of when, but at least I thought it was important that he addressed it and didn't let this fester and get to the point where he's just never going to talk after a game, because I don't think that would be fair to the fans first and foremost. Again, as a reporter, I could probably get over it and just focus on other guys and not really write about him that much. But for fans' perspective, this is one of the most important players on the team. And and I'm sure if you guys are being honest with yourselves, most of you, at least from time to time, would like to hear from that guy. So that is my final tidbit and takeaway and spiel on that. All right. So we've talked long enough in this opening segment. I think it's time for us to move on. Two quick things here. Number one, I mentioned losing a lot of stuff on the old computer. One thing that we haven't replaced yet are those transitions, those little hockey soundtracks and noises and stuff that we used to play in between one segment and another. Our number one regular podcast producer who is the most helpful and made those tracks for me that you used to hear, you know, the guys hitting each other in the goal scoring horn and that kind of stuff. He's on vacation this week, so I don't have access to him. Hopefully we'll have those back next week, but you're not going to hear a transition now. And then the other thing is, you know, my technical issues keep propping up here. My fiance makes fun of me all the time and says that I just am not very technologically savvy, which may be the case. I don't know. But while I began recording today's interview with Philip Heedle, there was some kind of an issue on the app that I was using and it didn't start recording right away or it dropped the recording. Luckily, Phil and I both realized after like a minute or so, so you didn't miss much. 
But this conversation is going to pick up right with me kind of re-asking him a question that we had already talked about. The beginning of the interview was just us joking around a little bit about Colin Stevenson, who you guys heard on the show last week, always telling Phil that if he talks to him before a game, that that's going to make him score a goal. So we had a good laugh about that. We were talking about how much fun Phil is having this season. And then what you're about to hear is him talking about his hockey beginnings and how he started getting into hockey in the first place back at home in the Czech Republic. So let's hear that interview now. All right. So start from the, from the hockey part. Yeah. What, what got you into hockey when you were first a kid? Yeah, at, uh, I started at four skating, I think three or, three or four. Uh, my parents, they brought me my brother and uh, my uncle brought a cousin. We were skating, all three of us, and I didn't like it from the stars uh, because I was falling all the time. And I didn't like it, but after that, uh, we had some races. I, I put some work into it, uh, and I, I started winning races. Uh, and of course, I get since since I was a kid, I was I I love to to win. Uh, I love to compete. So I was the first in almost every race, and since then, I just get the stick and started playing hockey. So first, it was more about just trying to go as fast as you could. Yes, yes, that was the that was the first thing. Uh, what what we had, uh, the sk- just the skating without sticks, and then when I when I was working on my skating and winning the races, they they said, okay, you you like it? We give you a stick, and yeah. Uh, since then, I I stick with that, and now I'm here. Do you remember whether it was when you were a kid or when you were playing, you know, whether World Juniors or it could be NHL too. Do you have any favorite hockey memory, like something that you think about all the time that, that you remember very fondly? It's a, mo- it's a lot. It's, yeah, I'm it's sure. From every, from every part of that uh, hockey career so far, what I got since the kids, since I started skating, since I moved to the different, uh, to the different city when I was a kid. And play for a different team. Then uh, m- when I started play pro in Czech at 16, 17, then move here after that. It's a lot of nice, nice memories. What I got is not only one, but uh, of course I remember the most uh, the the winnings what we had and the goals that I scored. Did you have a favorite player growing up? Yes, uh, Jaromir Jagr. Uh huh. That was that was the first what I st- started to looking at and then when I was older I was watching the most Evgeny Malkin, Patrick Kane then when I was playing center more I started watching also Crosby so these three these three players have been my my favorite players but uh, the first and the most what I liked was Siagra yeah, he's like probably a legend in the Czech Republic, yeah. I would imagine. Everybody probably loves him. Yeah, yeah. I think everybody, almost everybody, not just from my generation, but even the generation before, they look up to him. And uh, But we had, we had a lot of great players uh, before, even now. But before, for me, I could I could watch a lot of great players growing up. And we, we were winning a lot of world championships even Olympic Games in 98. So, yeah, uh, Buddy Agar was the guy who probably bring a lot of kids to, to, the, to the sport. And he's still scoring goals? 
just scoring goals, still <laughs> breaking records at 51. So it's yeah, crazy. It is crazy. So you mentioned, uh, you know, skating and, and, and racing and stuff like that. Who do you think in this room would give you the toughest time in a race? Probably, I don't know. We have a lot of, we have a lot of speed in our, in our team. Uh, I think Kreitz, Mika, they are very fast. So I would say those two guys. And also Key is, is very fast, but yeah, uh, I think you can see Kreitz when, he, when he's... Or actually when we have uh, our position in, uh, in, the, in the game, you can see that uh, the strengths in their positions, Kreitz is a winger, so we can start from a stop start. He's, he's probably the fastest guy in our team. And then me and Mika, we're center, so we're more staying in a, with a crossover. Mm-hmm. And, and that's probably, we are the fastest on this. Who, who's, whose skill do you enjoy watching the most on the team? Yeah, we got speed, we got skill in team, so we got a lot of guys who are very skilled. Of course, Artemi, uh, of course, Mika, uh, Lafi, Capo, uh, I, can, I can say everybody almost yeah, in yeah. this room so that's uh it's fun i think it's fun to watch if I, if I would be a fan and not playing in this team and doesn't know this team i think i would be happy if i could watch this this team play because yeah we're playing hard we have a lot of skill and we play with speed so i could put a point at anybody in this room and uh pick anybody last one for teammates Who, who's the funniest guy who makes you laugh the most yeah. Who the most? I think the guy who next sitting next to is very funny. Uh, and uh, Laffy, Laffy. Uh, I think I think Troj, Troj and Laffy. They are they are top. They are, yeah, yeah. They are these two. Yeah, these two are on the top top of the list. I think he picked. I think when I had him, he, yeah, you picked Laffy there too. I think when I asked you, yeah, I think so. I think he's so. a funny guy. Yeah, Laffy. Yeah, Laffy. I think his French accent helps a little. Yeah, I don't think he'd be, he'd be as funny if he wasn't. <laughs> yeah, they're on the top of the list, of course. All right, so I asked him this. I'll ask you this also. I'm, I love food. I'm always eating. What's your favorite food? It's a Czech food. No, you don't know. You don't know it probably. That's a. I had some in Edmonton actually. Yeah, but it's not. That's not in the restaurants actually. That's a breaded rabbit. A veal. It was. They had breaded veal. Yeah, but breaded rabbit. I've had rabbit because Italian, my though. my uh, grandparents has a farm and we had a lot of rabbits there, so they always. Uh, uh, they feed them with the good stuff so you know what they eat and then they bring it to or actually when, when I grew up they always give it to our parents and uh, that was my favorite food with potatoes That's, that was even even <laughs> even now even now when I come visit to my, my parents in summer that's uh, yeah, my rabbit. food I want to try that I've had so my grandmother's Italian she would yeah. make rabbit they call it rabbit cacciatore yeah. I'm sure it's a little different but it's I like to try diff- yeah it's a different but uh, even I think even the people every family would make it that would that would be different but I love that I love that when, when my parent, when my mom or my uh, grandmothers when they when they make it do you, are you a music guy? Do you have like a favorite music or something you listen to before a game? I usually uh, listening rap. Uh, my favorite is, uh, is Eminem. That's uh, even 
I didn't. That's like my. That was like my first artist. What I what I was uh, listening when I was a kid, actually. But I didn't understand in the English that much. And now, when I'm listening uh, again, or all the time. But now, when I using the lyrics and everything, I, I now I know what he's talking about the songs and and uh, even how he's rapping so fast you can understand what he's actually saying so that's for me it's a top 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 artist and for me it's uh yeah uh that's the guy who, what i listen to most yeah he's the best at that uh, all right last thing because i know you got to get on a flight soon um off day or summertime when you don't have hockey yeah. what's Filipino doing what are your favorite things to do off the ice just spending time with family uh spending time with my girlfriend the most and my my dog my friends uh with uh with my brother with my uh, uh with a brother of my uh with my girlfriend we are very good we are very good friends uh so we playing tennis together a lot uh we we play soccer uh we play all kind of sports and also we have a unbelievable relationship with my agents so we also spend a lot of time together and uh, uh, playing sports together a lot. And uh, otherwise, I'm just when it's free time, I'm spending time with my girlfriend and with my dog. Cool, awesome. Thanks, Phil. Now, yeah. if you score in Detroit, I'm taking the credit. Yeah, uh, no calling anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Phil. Man, that's yeah. fun. Okay, hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Philip Hedel. Definitely had a lot of fun with that one. We, we could have kept going. I don't know if you heard any of the whispers in the background toward the end of that conversation, but Gerard Gallant was heading into the press conference room to talk, and the PR guys were trying to discreetly let me know, hey, if you want to talk to Coach, you probably got to wrap this thing up. And afterwards, Phil was joking about, hey, you know, I'm, I'm just as important to the coach. You, you talk to him every day. You might as well stay and keep talking to me. So we definitely had some fun with that one, and I think you guys can hear – in his tone and in his voice, how loose he is and how much fun he's having this season. And why not? He's having a great year. So definitely appreciate Phil taking the time to do that with me after practice on Wednesday. So with that, let's dive right into your Twitter questions. And even though I know last week we talked about this and the theme was we're probably not going to talk about this anymore, but... I'm going through these questions, and it is just by far the most asked question of the week. And I understand why I know that Emily Kaplan, who you guys have heard on this show before from ESPN, definitely one of my favorite hockey reporters out there, had an article that went into some of this stuff regarding the Patrick Kane rumors earlier on Wednesday. And I actually heard from someone on Tuesday who sort of let it be known that things got pretty close with the Rangers and Patrick Kane, meaning had they not gone in the Vladimir Tarasenko route, it very likely could have been Patrick Kane that ended up being the guy who they filled that need for a scoring right winger with. And I mean, that shouldn't come as a surprise. Obviously, we've talked about him a lot in the last year, because of all the connections, the Panarin connection and the championship experience and the reasons that you thought that the Rangers might be interested. So 
it's never really been a secret that there was some interest on the Rangers part. And it's certainly not a secret that Patrick Kane was interested in coming here because you heard his comments or read his comments when he expressed disappointment about the Rangers going out and acquiring Tarasenko. So the fact that all this is still simmering, I think is in large part because of those Kane comments. But I also have to tell you that what he's done in the last week or so where he's been on fire has definitely caught everyone around the league's attention. And I think made people who were maybe starting to feel like, is he even going to get traded now feel like the market is kind of heating up for him again. As far as the Rangers are concerned though, the the facts remain the same. I'm going to try to run through them relatively quickly here because I don't want to spend too much time on this topic after we talked about it last week. But what we talked about last week, a lot of it still applies today. The Rangers right now do not, I repeat, do not have the salary cap space to do it. It almost got lost in the shuffle at the top of the show, but oh, by the way, the Rangers did trade for Tyler Mott between last week's episode and this week's. That was a guy whose name we had talked about. I told you when we were mentioning the bottom six candidates, that he was one of the four or five names that I had a strong inkling that the Rangers were interested in. So they go out and they get Mott last week. They take on his $1.35 million salary, and they send Julian Gauthier's $800,000 salary going the other way. So they added a little more than a half a million dollars to their cap to acquire Mott, who definitely makes their bottom six in their fourth line feel more formidable. Now, the sacrifice for that is it puts the Rangers on pace to only accrue about $900,000 in cap space by March 3rd. And by the time you hear this podcast, March 3rd is only eight days away. So we're getting very, very close to the trade deadline and very, very short on time for the Rangers to finagle ways to add cap space. Now, the obvious move that you expect them to make, $900,000 is not the true number that they're really going to have to spend. It's more like $1.65 to $1.75 million is the amount that I think we should be using as our working number for how much they can add at the trade deadline because they will do one of two things before March 3rd. They will either trade Vitaly Kratzoff or they will waive Jake LeCision. Now, we definitely believe that they're looking into trading Kratzoff right now. It doesn't sound like that market is too hot. You got to be curious whether or not Chris Drury is eventually just going to settle for something or hold until the summer. I believe there's motivation on both sides to try to get it done in the next week, but the possibility remains that they could hold him at least until the summer. I think I've made it clear. I don't think it's going to go beyond that. Whether it's Kratzoff, though, who goes, or LeCision, who goes, that puts the Rangers up again, kind of topping out at about $1.75 million in cap space to add a player. Now, that is not enough for Patrick Kane. Even if they're only going to retain 25% of his salary, that would mean Chicago retains 50, you find a third party to retain 25 you're still looking at 2.6 or so million dollars. So 1.75 is a pretty long way from 2.6. 
So in order for the Rangers to do that, they would have to do something drastic. I do not, underline, do not believe anybody beyond Kratzoff and Lecision is in jeopardy of losing their roster spot. So the only way for the Rangers to get to that cap number that they would need to get to to even think about Kane would be removing both Kratzoff and Lecision from the roster or one of those guys and then only carrying six defensemen. Basically, the Rangers would have to immediately or almost immediately get down to a 21-man roster and be willing to carry that for a significant amount of time. They have not done that all season. They've either had 22 or 23. I do not believe that they are comfortable with a 21-man roster. So I do not think that they are going to go that drastic route at this late stage. If they were concerned with adding that extra cap space, they had ample time to do it earlier in the season. We saw stretches where they carried 23 guys when it wasn't necessary. So they kind of had their chance previously to add that cap space, and they prioritized having the full roster. So I don't think at this late date that it is anywhere near likely that they're all of a sudden going to do something that they haven't done all season and leave their roster incredibly thin. And again, the clock is ticking. They have like a couple days left where they could even make that decision to go down to 21. If they don't do it, I think by Friday or Saturday, as far as my understanding is, then the ship is completely sailed on them getting to that 2.6 number. So... We should have our answer on that in the next few days. But I think that that is something that is going to be a huge hurdle for them. And the salary cap restrictions and where they stand right now, based on everything I just said, makes this deal almost impossible to pull off. Not impossible, but very, very difficult. Other things that I would mention as well. We know, and I have gotten this from good sources, that the Rangers had concerns about Patrick Kane's hip. Now, the way that he's playing recently, I'm sure, is making some teams feel a little bit better about that, but they let it be known that they weren't sold on the health of his hip and that that was one of the reasons that they pivoted away from that deal that would have brought him here. And we also know that Chicago's initial asking price was high. They didn't like what they would have had to give up to make that Kane deal happen. They felt like they were going to get better value from St. Louis in the deal that they made to acquire both Tarasenko and Nico Mikola. And then the final thing I would touch on here is, this is something we talked about a lot last week, but they have no intentions as far as the trade package is concerned to get anybody now at this stage, now that they've already surrendered one of their first-round picks. I don't believe they have any intentions of wanting to give up that other first-round pick in this year's draft. This is a strong draft class. They feel like they need to replenish parts of their prospect pool. So if getting Kane or anybody else is going to require a first-round pick, I don't think the Rangers are going to do it. I don't think they want to trade one of their top prospects. I don't think Brennan Othman or even some other guys at the top of that list are guys that they're considering right now. The trade chips that they have are Kratzoff, mid-round picks, Maybe at most a second-round pick, but I think they're still leaning more toward mid-round picks, if anything. B-level prospects, sort of that, you know, guys that we would rank four, five, six below, 
And that's it. So there's not a whole lot there to put together the type of package that we know Chicago had been seeking for a guy like Kane. Now, if all of a sudden Kane says, I would only go to the Rangers, I refuse to go anywhere else, and they come way down with their asking price and they say, okay, fine, we'll do it for Kratzoff and a third round pick or something along those lines, then maybe you consider, of course. How could you not consider under those circumstances? But there remain significant hurdles and the chances of Chicago all of a sudden settling for a package that's that drastically reduced from what I heard they were asking for earlier, that would be, I think, a big surprise for everybody. What I've heard is that they're still hoping that Kane will entertain the idea of going to a different team because there are other teams that are in a position to offer more than what the Rangers are willing to offer right now and have a little bit more cap space to work with playoff teams. I'm talking teams that would want him that w- and that would view him as a good ad. So that is what I believe. I believe that Chicago is still hoping that they're going to get him to agree to consider other options. I absolutely think that it's true and accurate because we basically heard him say it, that the Rangers were his preference But the Rangers went in another direction. And now, again, at this late stage, for all the reasons that I just laid out, that we probably are going to talk about again next week at the rate that we're going, for all those reasons, this remains a long shot, for sure. I think it's going to be incredibly difficult unless all of a sudden Chicago again says, you know what, fine, we'll take a third-round pick in Kratzoff. I think unless something like that happens there's virtually no chance of this deal happening. And again, the salary cap would remain a huge hurdle in that situation because the Rangers would essentially have to drop their roster to 21 people, and they haven't done that at any other point this season. And again, the clock is ticking on that. They've only got a very limited time where they could drop to that number and accrue the amount of cap space that they would need. I remain of the belief that what we're looking at before the March 3rd deadline is the Rangers adding a bottom six kind of forward, one more guy to round out this lineup, push decision out of the lineup. And that guy, based on the numbers that we're looking at right now, is going to have to cost under $1.75 million, which we know Kane would not. So that is where we stand on all of that. I probably shouldn't say that we're not going to talk about him anymore because obviously you guys want to talk about it. And I get it. It would be... If you're talking about building a super team, putting him in the top six right now would make this lineup just look ridiculous. It would look like a video game. But realistically, it's it's hard to envision how they would make it happen given all of the things that we just laid out. If it was just one of those big hurdles, then you could maybe envision ways that they would overcome it. But between the cap, between the trade assets, between the roster crunch, between needing to go down to 21 players, between Chicago not wanting to settle for something that's significantly different than what we know they were asking for weeks ago, other teams still being interested and them trying to convince Kane, hey, you know, we're a pretty good situation too. All of those factors make this feel like if you're putting odds on it, the odds aren't great. All right. Let's move on to another question, which comes from outside the garden, who asks, 
the Rangers would seemingly be able to match up against any of the teams in the Metro division, but have they done enough to weather the grind? Now, this is a pretty interesting question as well, because no matter who the next piece that the Rangers add, and we all believe that they're going to add a forward before March 3rd, we know that pushes Jake LeCision out of the lineup. And that gives you 12 forwards, assuming they get a forward that people feel good about, which I'm sure people are going to feel like he's an upgrade, whoever it is. That gives you 12 forwards that you feel like, okay, these guys are all quality players in a playoff lineup. But the concern that has kind of cropped up in my head a little bit, and this is, I think, what Outside the Garden is getting at, is what happens if there's an injury? Because if there's an injury then you're right back to having potentially Jake LeCision in the lineup for the playoffs or having to recall somebody from Hartford. Johnny Bradzinski is a guy who I think has been effective in spurts, but you know, is he a guy in a, a lineup that you expect to compete for a Stanley Cup? Is Ryan Carpenter a guy who you could make that leap of faith with? Gustav Ridal is having a pretty good season in Hartford, but the Rangers haven't really given him a shot yet. That would be a very tall order to ask him to step off in a playoff race when he's never played an NHL game yet. Will Cooley, you saw some things that you liked. I know people love to see the toughness and the fighting and all that when he was up here, but he didn't stick in the lineup. He has extremely limited NHL experience. So the depth, once you start looking beyond a top 12 that we expect will have one more guy in it within a week or so, where is the next forward in line, that 13th forward that you would feel like, okay, we can use this guy if we need to in a pinch? For me, the most logical candidate, I think, is Johnny Brodzinski. I think he would probably be, if I'm ranking then, the 13th forward. But it still is a situation where you run into an injury, you run into two injuries, then all of a sudden you feel like you're stretched pretty thin. So, it's a concern, but again, we just touched on how limited this cap space is. I don't know if the Rangers have too many alternatives. They absolutely want to and should want to add one more forward with that sliver of remaining cap space that they have. But beyond that, I think the depth that they have in the organization kind of is what it is, and they're going to have to keep their fingers crossed that they avoid the injury bug. All right, final question here comes from Jared Kaufman, who wrote, is Nico Mikola the final answer at D, or do you see another depth defenseman coming in? Also, when will we finally see a fourth line of Mott, Goudreau, and Vesey? For the second part of that question, you might see it after March 3rd, but I also think everyone needs to brace themselves for the possibility of Jimmy Vesey remaining in the top nine after the trade deadline. And we talked about Vesey a lot last week. I think given what this guy has provided for the team this year, that having him in a top nine role for the playoffs is far from a worst case scenario. I think he's done a lot of really impressive things to earn that kind of distinction. When we talk about how good he's been defensively, when we talk about the heads up plays that he makes and how smart of a player he's become. And as we touched on last week, there's still enough skill in there that like when you saw him playing with Panarin, you felt like he had enough playmaking ability to make offensive plays when the situation arose. So I don't think that's a worst case scenario by any stretch. It depends who the Rangers get. 
we're going to, I'm actually writing a story right now about, I think a lot of the names and the teams that they're looking at potentially making deals with. So that story will be published on Friday morning. So definitely keep an eye out for that. I'm not going to rehash or bring up some other names all right now, but some of the forwards I think they're looking at, you could maybe envision playing a little further up in the lineup. And then maybe you do get that fourth line of VC Goudreau and Mott. But I think some are fourth line type of guys. And then you might end up having VC in your top nine with Goudreau, Mott, and fill in X player as the fourth line. As for the defensive question, Mikkel is the guy. Okay, they're not replacing him. I do not believe they're in the market for another defenseman. Nikola is their sixth guy, and Ben Harper is going to be their seventh guy for the rest of this season, as far as I can tell. I wrote about it. I, I think I mentioned this story last week. If you didn't get a chance to check it out, you can always go back and, and search for it. But the Rangers, there's a lot that they like about Mikola, and I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I feel like the last handful of games, he's looked much more comfortable. I think you're starting to see him close out plays in the defensive zone and use that length and use that stick and use that mobility that we talked about more effectively, more assertively, more confidently. So you're not going to get a whole lot of wow plays from him. He's not a big puck mover. He's not going to be pushing up too far in the offensive zone, although you've seen him look for that shot a little bit. He did have a, a primary assist in a handful of games ago. I want to say three or four games ago he had that. So you're seeing him look for the shot a little bit, but that's not his game. This is just a guy whose role is to be physical, whose role is to use his length and smother opponents and try to close off passing lanes and take pucks away from guys in the D zone. And I think he's fairly effective at that. And I think we're seeing him get a little bit better at it each game. And he's also cut down on the penalties in the last few games. So Mikola is the guy that the Rangers identified as the type of player that they wanted in that role. They made a point of insisting on him being included in that Tarasenko trade, and he's the guy for the rest of the season, no doubt about it. All right, that is going to do it for this week's episode. I got to go finish packing, and like I said, we're hitting the road for DC tonight, so I will definitely be checking in with you guys from there. Next week is going to be the trade deadline episode. The trade deadline's Friday. The plan is going to be, I believe, for the new episode to come out, I think Friday morning. I, Wednesday, I know I'm going to be going to Philadelphia. The Rangers have a game that night in Philly, so I won't be recording on Wednesday. I'll probably record on Thursday. I mean, I know that the landing time on that episode will be right before the trade deadline, so maybe we'll wait. I don't know. Let me know what you guys think if you'd like to have a fresh episode Friday morning or if you'd rather me wait until after the trade deadline. That's definitely something to think about. I could also record earlier in the week. I don't know. A lot of things to think about. I'll keep you guys posted on the exact timing for that, but one way or another, we'll be talking about the trade deadline next week. As for this week, thank you one last time to Rob Milano for submitting that track that you heard at the beginning of the show. And now we're going to get you out of the show by hearing it one last time. Take care, everybody. We'll be talking about things that we like, maybe some hockey. Oh, yeah, we're skating on by weather in Chinatown or on a train to Pennsylvania. 
station, you'll need the city sound of all the news that we're breaking. The Rangers are playing, you're welcome to stay in. Hey, hey.